You're listening to Pastor Stephen G. Lightfoot's podcast, Sermons and Homilies by the Reverend Stephen G. Lightfoot. Pastor Stephen is an ordained elder in the Global Methodist Church and serves as senior pastor to First Methodist Church Splendora and Shepherd Methodist Church in Southeast Texas. Here is today's episode. Well, I was telling Jean this morning that uh, seems like we've been doing church all week. And we have. And it's been um, tiring as service for the Lord often is. But it's also been a blessing. And I'm so thankful for everyone's prayers and support. And uh, for those of you who made the trip up to Shepherd to participate, um, we anointed folks with oil for healing. We offered communion to the whole community. Uh, there were several excellent messages, and I think we accomplished what we had set out to do, which was to give the Holy Spirit a, a venue in which to move, and move he did. It didn't stop with Thursday. It continues even now. I, I know that there is a, a supernatural Holy Spirit wind, uh, a fresh wind, if you will, that's blowing through our communities. And the body of Christ being in motion, joining in with what the Holy Spirit is doing is one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit has chosen to move in this particular community at this particular time. The message that I want to bring today comes largely from the epistle out of Romans 10. But before I get there, I think we need to start in Matthew. Uh, I'm in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. If you have your Bibles and care to follow along, uh, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Hear what Jesus says in the Gospel according to Matthew. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated to them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now we know this passage of Scripture and Jesus' command here as the Great Commission. It's a command, it's a mandate for the evangelical mission of the church. It's a command to us as the church to go and make disciples, followers of Jesus. And this command, this, this mandate 
began with the original 11 disciples. Remember, Judas had checked out. Those disciples made disciples who made disciples and so forth over the vast expanse of years until the responsibility for disciple-making landed squarely on you and me. Not just you and me. The universal church is now responsible for making disciples of Jesus Christ. And so as present-day followers of Christ, we are inheritors of a royal decree, a commission issued by Christ himself. And he made that command by the authority that is inherent in him as the second person of the Trinity. In other words, as God, he commanded the church to go and make followers of Jesus. It's not by coincidence that Jesus instructed us to baptize the nations and make disciples in the name of who? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Whenever I talk about the evangelical mission of the church, when I talk about missionaries, and we are all missionaries, missionaries going out into the community, out into the most remote places on the earth as well. You can be a missionary in the mountains of Nepal or you can be a missionary in, what do we, we don't have hills even. What do we have in Splendora? Potholes. Potholes, <laughs> the potholes, thank you, of Splendora. I'm going to make a note of that and use it in future sermons. And I always think of my, my daughter, Brittany, and her, and her husband. Many of you know of them. Uh, they were missionaries to Nepal, but now they're missionaries down in the Rio Grande Valley. And you know what a mess it is down there and how badly they need the gospel message to be preached. So that's where they are. I came across, as I was preparing this message, I came across an article that my daughter had written. I want to read just a small bit of it because she speaks to what happens when we first feel the pull of God's call on our hearts to bring the gospel message to people, whether they're domestic or international makes no difference. God wants the gospel to be preached to everyone. Listen to what she says. I think it's insightful. She says, God calls us to things we don't always find ourselves prepared for. Boy, howdy. And perhaps we feel unqualified to carry out the task. It's like she's looking right through me. The beautiful thing about the Lord is that he trusts us enough to give us responsibility even when we think we're unqualified. So if you're thinking, I can't preach the gospel in this community because I'm not qualified. If that's your mindset, hear these words because God, you've heard this before, God does not call the equipped. God equips the called. 
right? All you have to do is say yes, and God will give you what you need. Listen to this. In giving us responsibility, God restores dignity to his people. What a great perspective that is. Because living in sin and being captive and in bondage to sin for any human being anywhere is undignified. It's undignified. You weren't created to be that. You were created in the perfect image and likeness of God. And that's what God is trying to restore to all people everywhere. And he does it through his church. He restores dignity to his people and uses us to build his kingdom. The Great Commission is the calling and the privilege we are given to carry out the work of Christ on earth that all might hear and have the opportunity for relationship with Jesus. As Jesus followers, we meet together in fellowship around the table or in the sanctuary, and to do that is Christ-like. But the thing that we all have to remember as the church is that meeting together in fellowship and in our sanctuary is not where the mission is is it's where we come to be equipped it's where we come to be fortified and energized it's where we come for the in breathing of the holy spirit the fresh wind of the holy spirit we receive it in worship we receive it through fellowship but we cannot stop being a christian there we have to do what we are called to do as christians we have to be willing and obedient to the missionary call of the Great Commission. We must be disciples and then disciplers, holding one another accountable in love for the forward motion of the kingdom work in which we have been entrusted. We send one another out daily, equipped with encouragement and the fortitude of the Holy Spirit. Make no mistake, we operate as missionaries in the mission field of Splendora, Texas. We approach the mountains of pain, physical pain, spiritual pain. We approach them head on and then we climb over them, conquering those dizzying Heights, that overwhelming task ahead of us, we conquer it with the power and love of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, equipped with our own testimony of how Jesus transformed us from within, equipped with our story, we witness to the people in this community so that they might come into relationship with Jesus and have a faith story of their own to tell. Now the epistle this morning from Romans. Romans 10, 5 through 13. You can follow along in your bulletin. Paul says, For Moses writes of the, of the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who performs them will live by them, 
But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, in this passage, Paul tells us that there are two kinds of righteousness. The first kind of righteousness is that righteousness that has its origin in the law. Paul reminds us what Moses had to say about the law. The man who does these things will live by them. Which is to say that if a person is able to do all that the law of Moses requires, then those efforts, if he's able to do them, will lead him to life. Well, I think we can all see the problem with that kind of righteousness, can't we? No one, save Jesus, is able to to live up to the requirements of the law. We just can't do it. We all fall short. The law points us in the right direction, but it provides absolutely no power to achieve its demands. You can know the law, but it has no power to make you keep the law. That's why we have prisons. God didn't give us the law as a way for us to earn his favor. He never expected us to keep it. The law was provided to us so that we would know the character and nature of God. And so that we might have ethical goals for which we might strive and a baseline from which to operate. So we would know very clearly, very succinctly what God expects of us. Now, the second kind of righteousness that Paul mentions in this passage from Romans is righteousness of a different kind. It's righteousness based on faith. It's very different from the kind of righteousness that's built on the law of Moses. Paul says that it doesn't require of us such valiant and extreme efforts such as bringing Christ down from heaven or raising him up from the grave. It's really much more simple than that. Now, we don't have to go into any extremes at all to discover the availability of salvation. God didn't want to put it up on the top shelf to make you reach and strain for it. That's not the purpose of salvation is to make you work for it. The purpose of salvation is that you don't have to work for it. In fact, you can't. 
It's impossible to work towards salvation. Christ, our Savior, is here and now readily available to whosoever will believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. It's a free gift. All you have to do is say yes to it. Now, I want to be crystal clear here. We must confess that Jesus is Lord. When we believe and confess that Jesus is Lord, we are acknowledging the fact that Jesus is, in fact, God. In fact, the Greek word that's used in this passage. If you were to get the Greek translation, you would see here that Lord is is the Greek word. We pronounce it Yahweh. Really, there's no vowels in that word at all. It's, it's all consonants. Y-H-W-H. How is that a word? It's not. It's a sound. You know what sound Yahweh is? your very breath. Whenever you breathe, you say the name of God. Baby's first words, once they smack his bum. Your last breath on this earth before you're in front of Jesus face to face. It's your breath. It's the literal inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the inbreathing and exhaling of life itself. What this means is in this passage, when Jesus is referred to as Lord, as Yahweh, it means that Jesus's authority is absolute, unlimited, universal. Those who come to Jesus must acknowledge the authority of God himself and be willing to place themselves under it. There's no such thing as salvation apart from lordship. No such thing as salvation apart from acknowledging Christ as Lord. So while we may falter from time to time, We can't abdicate our responsibility to live to the best of our ability and intention that his authority matters in our lives. You can't go about life intending to do your own thing. Putting heaven on the back burner for some time later. Letting all the heavenly things, the godly things, the faith things take a back seat. Because there are no back seats to slide into unnoticed into heaven. Methodists may have a problem with that. We like to slide into the back row. Unnoticed. Every seat is right up front, 
right in front of Jesus, our judge. The other thing is that we must believe in our core that Jesus was raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is central to our belief as Christians. Why is that? See, the the logical thing is that if it were not for the resurrection, then Christianity would be little more than a well-intentioned ethical system. Well, well well-intentioned ethical systems equal the law. Jesus is much more than that. He is the fulfillment of the law. More important than that, he is the essence of the nature of God, which is love. You don't find much love in a courtroom. You find justice most of the time. Love is something divine love is reserved for relationship between God and his people and between people, both believers to unbelievers, in order that they may come to know the love of Christ. It's much more than an ethical system. It's the kingdom of God on earth. God did something extraordinary in the resurrection that defies all the laws of nature as we know them. He raised Jesus from the dead and that reality authenticates all that Jesus said and did and taught. It's God's way of demonstrating to us that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, and it is through Him that we must be saved. It's God's way of saying to us, Jesus is every bit who He said He was. So the last two verses of our Scripture in Romans 10, 14 and 15. Paul says, How then are they to call on him him in whom they have not believed? In other words, how are those out there that we're uh, taking the gospel message to, how are they to believe on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? But how are they to preach unless they are sent? In other words, we have a responsibility to respond to the great commission of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's Paul's telling us in these last two verses, if if everyone who calls upon the name on the Lord will be saved, then it is essential that everyone have the opportunity to hear the gospel. If you don't hear the good news, how can you believe it? And if you don't hear it and believe it, then how can you proclaim it? And if you don't believe it and proclaim it, then how can anyone be saved? There have to be people willing to carry the message of Jesus to the farthest reaches of the earth and to the nearest communities 
next to where we build a church. They have to be willing people, and it's been charged to us, the church, to be those people. Someone must bring the message. Someone must preach the good news. Because the prophet Isaiah, as he says in chapter 52, verse 7 of Isaiah, how beautiful on the mountains or the potholes are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. People need to know there's a God in heaven. Do you know that some people just right down the street don't know that there's a God in heaven? I know, hard to believe, right? But it's true. They don't believe there's a God in heaven because no one has taken it upon themselves to be the beautiful hands and feet of Jesus to them. So the question is, do those beautiful feet belong to you? Are you willing to carry the message of the hope of Jesus to someone who desperately needs to hear the message this week? Because you have a story to tell. You have been called to tell your story. Question is, will you answer the call? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our hymn is, He Knows My Name. Page 44, it will be on the screen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Come back again next week for a new message. And until then, may God bless you and keep you.